welcome again to RUF. Um, my name is Chris Horn, if I don't know you, um, and I'm the campus minister here with RUF, and I'm usually the person that's up here talking, but I figured you needed a break um, from me. Um, hard to believe. Um, but uh, welcome to you, especially, uh, again, if this is your first time or one of your first times at RUF, or are you trying this out? Or you're like, I'm not really sure about this, but I'm just going to come out and give it a shot. Really grateful that you're here, and um, we feel privileged that you could that you came to be with us tonight in the midst of tests and rush and everything else that's going on. So thanks for being here again um, tonight. Uh, my good friend, Pastor Reggie Hunt, is going to be bringing God's word to us. Reggie is a local pastor. He's the pastor of Cornerstone Summit in Boone, which is a fantastic church that meets on Sunday mornings at Hardin Park Elementary School behind Lowe's Foods. If you're looking for a church, I highly, highly recommend it. Sweet people, great looking pastor. So um, what more can you ask for? Same reason why you come here. Um, but we're thrilled to have Reggie tonight. I'm honored to have Reggie. Uh, I count Reggie as a friend and he like treats me like a friend, but I treat him like the person I want to be like when I grow up. And um, so great, grateful to have him here. Reggie's been here for forever. It's like everybody else comes and goes, but he's been here like 20 years or more. He's worked with Young Life. He's pastored two churches in town. He's been the chaplain of the football team for like 15 years, something like that. And uh, this dude has spoken every, this is like miraculous that he's never spoken here because he's a hot item in town and speaks everywhere. So anyway, just privileged to have him with us tonight. Um, he's married to the lovely Julie and they have three boys, Davis, Dawson, and Gaines, and I love Gaines the most because I don't know the other two, um, because Gaines is in my daughter's preschool class, and um, her relationship with Gaines is very much like my relationship with Reggie. Like Gaines, like just wants to be friends, and like I think Georgia just like wants to be more than friends. Um, so, um, so you know, we're talking about that. You know, it's a little early, I feel like. But um, anyway, but Reggie, thank you so much for being here. We're really privileged to have you. Excited that you're going to be here tonight. Can I pray for you as we get started? Um, let's pray. Father, uh, we're grateful um, that you are at work. We're grateful that you love Appalachian, that you love Boone. We're grateful for your churches in town um, that are uh, respites of the gospel where people can come in and they're weary and worn. Um, and to receive refreshment in Jesus. And we're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you're with us tonight by your spirit. And we ask that you would send your spirit in a special way to speak through um, this wonderful man, uh, that we would be receptive to your word, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from you, Lord Jesus. And would you make yourself more beautiful and believable to us tonight through Reggie, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you turn the mute off, you got it? All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Wow, what a uh, what an introduction there uh, to have all those accolades, right? I'm uh, really just a guy who's been around here for a while. Uh, as Chris said, my name is Reggie Hunt, and I pastor Cornerstone Summit Church, uh, which is a church here in town, as he said, meets at Hardin Park. I've been here for a while because I went to school here at Appalachian and uh, stuck around uh, on purpose uh, to be here for a little bit and have worked with football. I started off as the second string chaplain. That's not what you write home about. Uh, but I, I did that for a while. I've been working with football uh, and basketball and a few other uh, places. And let me tell you, uh, I have uh, watched RUF from a distance uh, over the last few years. And I just admire uh, what you guys are about and what you do here. I have spoken at a few campus ministries over time. 
and never been to RUF. And I was excited. My wife said today, how are you feeling about RUF? And I said, I'm scared. She said, you're nervous? I said, no, scared. Like, about feeling myself. <laughs> because, because I just have uh, so much respect for you guys uh, and, and your reputation on campus. Sometimes you don't, you don't know what a difference you're making, but you guys have been involved uh, not only on the campus, but in a lot of conversations that are uh, necessary for the faith community, especially students to have uh, on this campus. And I've got a lot of love uh, for Chris and just getting to know uh, him and his wife, or, or knowing him but getting to know Sarah. But I really uh, do have a lot of respect for them and was honored at the invitation. And uh, he mentioned our two younger kids, and I just want to let you know, I believe in arranged marriages when they're functional families. So, yeah, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk. Uh, so I'm excited about it tonight. Uh, I, I will go ahead and tell you that I'm a pretty energetic guy, and I know the first couple of minutes we're trying to kind of figure out each other. Uh, and when Chris told me about this, I was really excited, and, uh, and I told him I tried my best to fit into the window of time that you uh, are used to. I pastor a multicultural church, you know, so we always got this debate between how long church should last, you know, because I grew up in a church, in a traditional black church that was about two and a half hours every Sunday, first service, uh, first Sunday's communion Sunday, that's, that's an extra bonus hour. Uh, and so sometimes when I preach at my church and I preach for 30 minutes, the black people are like, what's up, are you mad? Uh, <laughs> and the white people are like, that was pleasant, that was pleasant. <laughs> So somewhere in there, we're going to believe God for a miracle that maybe I can get this message in about 30 minutes uh, of what you're used to. And I do make it shorter in pre-games because, you know, I want to keep coming back. So, uh, but, but thank you seriously for, for having me here. It's a wonderful uh, opportunity, and I'm, I'm really honored that you would uh, take the time to uh, let me share. Let's jump right here into Luke, uh, the book of Luke. I heard that you have been um, talking about the parables, and Chris was so gracious uh, to let me talk about the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan. Uh, it's one that I've always read and I've been intrigued with because I think that there is so much to learn from it. I think on your handout you have Luke chapter 10. I probably should have got that handout so we can read from the same translation, but I think that we can be uh, close enough reading here. And uh, what happens here in Luke chapter 10, just want to pick up at verse 25. I'm going to try to read this real quickly. Verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to test saying, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in the law and how does it read? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this little smart Alec, that's not what it says in the Bible, but I just added that. This little smart Alec says to him, uh, he says, if you do this correctly, you know, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? I thought, like, that's kind of arrogant, trying to justify yourself in front of Jesus. And he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says to him, a man was going down from Jericho and fell among robbers and was stripped at him and beat him and went away and left him for dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levi. And when he came and placed him, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. He put them on his beast and brought him to the inn to take care of him. And on the next day... He took money and gave to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever you spend when I return, I'll pay to you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the thieves? 
Go and do the same. Let's pray right here. God, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and this time. Help me to clearly articulate in a way that stirs the faith of these young men and women uh, and helps them to fulfill the purpose and the call that you have for them on this campus. Not with enticing words or showmanship or anything that uh, would impress them, but just the pure challenge that comes from the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I I was taken by the scripture because it says, uh, first of all, we live in this culture that doesn't like to celebrate the uniqueness that we have. We don't always like to celebrate the uniqueness and the distinction in which God created us. The first part I find intriguing about the scripture is that Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And I thought, like, if we're not supposed to see differences, why tell a story and use a term that distinguishes people from the norm? The other thing I find intriguing about the scripture is that Jesus was just rejected from the Samaritans. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, read it. I mean, just in the previous chapter before, he's rejected by, these, by, the, by Samaria. And now he's telling a parable about ministering to the people that he's been rejected by. That challenged me in, in my own walk to know that God would perhaps challenge me to minister to people that in some way, shape, or form would reject me. Would reject me because of my age, would reject me because of my race, would reject me because of where I live, or reject me even for being a Christian, because that happens too. You know, they just automatically assume that if you are a Christian, that you're this way. You know, or if you are of a certain ethnicity, that you're this way. And still he calls us to go right after he was rejected. And what happens here is you've got these 70 people. By the way, I talk kind of fast and energetic. And most of the time, like if you just smile or nod or maybe even say amen, then I know you're listening. You know, okay, good. That's a laugh. I'll take that. And so um, 70 people are returning from their first local missions trip. They're excited about their authority and their power. And this lawyer comes to them and says, who's my neighbor? I, I, I thought this was so interesting. Like he's, he, he, the first thing he throws out is... A good Samaritan. I, I thought it was so interesting because in our world, we're so blended by culture. We're, we're blended by culture. We're blended by music. You go to any event and you can watch us all dance to the same stuff. You know, white people know how to do the wobble now. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, like, like you go to a football game and they're like, all I do is win no matter what. Throw your hands in the air and they stay there and they stay there and they stay Y'all know the song. <laughs> and and we're, all, we're all down with it. We're all, we're all blended in music and culture and society, but, but we, we are not uh, in terms of faith. We're not in terms of faith where it's local to us. And, and I, I was blown away that, 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 uh, that he would start off this thing by talking about this good Samaritan. And the question that we have here, the first question that we have here is should we get involved? Should we engage the culture around us? Should, should we get involved? The gospel was never to stop at our salvation, but to move us into transformation and engagement. Should we get involved? The, the gospel should be bigger than our cultural preferences. And the question becomes, should we get involved? And we got a few options before we get move further into the text. First option is we can withdraw. I mean, we completely withdraw. Like, we, as Christians, there's enough of us in this room, we can completely withdraw. Like, we can go out, hide out in the bomb shelter, Get some dehydrated fruit. Wait for the gospel chip to come pick us up. Like we can just straight hide out like Y2K style. I know some of your cousins got some canned goods still. Second option is 
we can do the imposition thing, you know, like where we just impose our beliefs, most of them which are cultural, like we can just impose our beliefs on other people, you know, like back in the day when they just imposed, you know, Christianity and the imposition became inquisition and they just inquired land and the Catholic Church, I mean the Catholic Church is great, but the Catholic Church then decided that we can actually acquire your land if you're not a Christian and we can get confessions out of torturing you. Like, you want to be saved? Fucking beat your butt. Like, I mean, you can just go right there, you know? And that didn't really work for us. That didn't really work for us to impose. I mean, we look back on that and wish we hadn't, like, killed people for the sake of the gospel. Or we can impose like we did, like, back in the day when, when, when prohibition, you know, like we would just impose and say, like, if you drink a drop, like, you're going to hell. And so we're just going to impose, you know, the whole prohibition thing. And that worked awesome. Like, Buzzy Seagull made his money and started Las Vegas. <laughs> The other option is that that uh, that we can kind of have this uh, we can kind of have this like uh, laissez-faire attitude where like you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe you know and, and it doesn't matter and and that doesn't really work because you know in in, in historical context Hitler's Germany the church was silent I mean we could just say you do what you do and I do what I do and that doesn't really work for engaging the culture the Dutch Reformed Church was involved in apartheid. The KKK was supported by majority of evangelicals who carried Bibles to church on Sundays. I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about how people choose to engage or not engage in the culture around them. The other option is we just have a, a laissez-faire attitude. We, we, we just decide that we're not going to be a part of it. We're just going to let things go as they go. And, and, or, or, or my favorite one is we can be the rescuer. You know, like it's like I, I try to describe to people the difference between the butler uh, and the help. The help is like Hollywood's way of trying to blend us together and rescue us. My parents look at that and say, oh, that's not a real accurate story. The butler's more accurate of how we should value people over time. That we don't always have to be the rescuer. Sometimes just being present and empowering people, whoever they are, is great. And the challenge here with the text is it says, the way to do this is to find the person who has fallen among thieves. The, the challenge with engagement is we are so nervous about our identity being twisted or confused that we are not always willing to change in order to be relevant. We don't want our identity messed up with. And, and most of what we have learned, most of us conform to some type of mold in which we find success. You know, uh, most of us are, are, many of us are used to just conforming to the group that we feel most comfortable in. And we're missing some of the greatest opportunities before us if we would just be willing to engage. Willing to engage in the culture around us. This is one of the biggest challenges. And, and we don't really want to change to be relevant. I, I get some of the funniest phone calls because, you know, I've been here for a while, you know, and, uh, and, and when people think about how they're, for the longest time, this true story, for the longest time, whenever I got invited to speak on campus ministry, it was always during Black History Month. <laughs> I mean, for real. I mean, and, and not to black people and not about black history. They just figured like, hey, uh, and so I always joke with Mark Valentine, thank you for not inviting me during Black History Month. You know? And so today I get this phone call from this guy I hadn't talked to in years. I mean, I hadn't talked to him in years. He, didn't even, he said, I didn't even know you were still pastor. And I was like, where do you think I went? <laughs> and so he says, hey, man, I wonder if you'll tell me. He, he says, we got a black guy coming, and he's never been to Boone, and he's going to be working in Boone, and we need you to come and tell him about what it's like to be black. I said, okay, fair game. He says, is your church still mixed? I said, yeah. 
He said, I need you to come over and tell us how to do that. <laughs> I thought, well, first of all, uh, you got to be willing and aware to know that uh, everybody might not like some of the same things that you like, and that's okay. He said, well, can you come over and tell us how to do that? I said, why don't you just start relationships with somebody black? He said, okay, that's a good start. Can you come to the meeting next Tuesday? I, I mean, I was, I, was, I, was, I was like, I was like, just in my mind, just laughing like, like, it's not that hard. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I was just blown away. Like, can you come over and teach me how to minister to your kind? Like, I speak English. I love God. Can we just start off talking about, I mean, is it making any sense? So, so back to the text. I, I was completely thrown off by, by this piece of most of the time we're not willing to adapt in order to be relevant. Because we think that we just don't get each other and we dismiss it as that. What happens in the text exposes how we think. Look at what the Bible says. It, it says this. It says, first of all, a priest saw him and went the other way. Oh, that's bad. That's real bad. Because like the priest in that day is probably dressed up like a priest. I mean, it's not like nowadays where you can't tell like if I pastor a church or not. No clergy shirt, no robe. I'm talking about like back in the day, like, you know, where the priest has on priestly garments. So the dude that identifies on the outside as being a, 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 a follower of God who is recognized by other people sees him and is seen walking the other way. I thought that was so crazy, man. Have you, have you ever noticed that more people know you than you know them? Like, like because you go to RUF, people see you walking in the RUF. And because you tweet and, and Instagram and do whatever it is you do on social media with, RT, with RUF, more people know that you're associated with RUF. So you have already identified your way in some, yourself in some way, shape, or form as a person who follows God. And then when people see you walk the other way, what's that communicating? I mean, what, what's it communicating if on your social media you value foreign missions more than you do local missions. If you value foreign salvations more than you do local salvations. If you're good there and not so much here. It says, and it's not that the priest didn't know. What blew my mind about the text is it says that the priest saw him. I mean, I mean, it's not like he didn't know where he's supposed to start. No, he, he saw him and went the other. He saw him and said, no, don't want to, don't know if I'm qualified. Don't want to mess with that. Then the Levite, the guy who's supposed to be also joined to the things of God. The next verse says that the Levite saw him and also went the other way. The parable is designed to criticize the lawyer who thought that he was so, so, so righteous it's designed to, to challenge the lawyer's perspective about Samaria. Like, like Samaria, that place that they wouldn't even walk through it. They wouldn't even walk through Samaria because they didn't want to carry the dust from that place. And, and Jesus has just been rejected by there. And he said, though I'm rejected by there, I'm still challenging you to see it from a different perspective. And the question is, who is my neighbor? 
Not the one with the title. Not the one wrapped up in his identity as a priest or a Levite. It's the one who cared enough to do something with somebody who was in trouble. Who's your neighbor? I mean, your neighbor is not, your neighbor is the person who is directly on your path that you can minister to, that you can empower, that you can challenge, that you can encourage, that you can help. He's not talking about a handout right here. He's not talking about, he's not talking about going over and serving at the hospitality house. He's not talking about going over to the food bank. He's not talking about going up to the hunger coalition. He's talking about who are the people that are right in your path every day that you're nervous about having a conversation with because they're different from you in some way, shape, or form. And a hush fell over the crowd. It's, it's, it's really challenging. The, that the, the next part that I saw here that was so profound is that he went to where he was. The priest was on his way. The priest was on his way, and now you have to go out of your way to avoid people who are in need. So the first thing that he did was rather than waiting on them to come to him, he went to where they were. That's so, that's, that's so, that's so challenging. It's so challenging to get involved. I've been telling our church, we need to be involved in conversations and we need to go to where people are and earn the right to be heard. That's my old young life background. You know, so, so like, we need to be able to sit at the table with people that don't think like us and don't agree with us and people that have, uh, and sit at the table in social justice conversations. And not that I agree with all of it, but in sitting at the table, I'm showing that I value you. I value your opinion. And, and I'm not just waiting for you to be over so I can speak and I can convert you. I value your opinion and hope that you would value mine. It's going to where people are. I mean, just, just in raw numbers, just in raw numbers, just from my, my, my quick observation, between this crowd and Crusade and InterVarsity and a few other groups that I get to have the privilege of speaking at, imagine what you can do on this campus if you were willing to go to where people are. It would be incredible. I mean, it would be beyond revival. I mean, it would be incredible. Next thing he does here is he has compassion on him. He goes to where he is, and then he has compassion on him. Now, this is this right here is, is the thing that really captures my attention, is, is that, that I, I get worried that we've lost our level of compassion. We get so involved in political issues that we lost basic level of compassion. So if I told you uh, that my brother was uh, shot a couple weeks ago, I hope that you would have compassion. I hope that you wouldn't start a debate about gun wars. I hope that you wouldn't come to the funeral and say, you know what, if we get rid of them guns, or if you want to carry a gun. No, I hope that you would say, dang, your brother died? I'm sorry. And I hope that at the same time, if I had told you, hey, my uncle was trying to protect my brother and he got shot, uh, then I hope that you would have compassion. But if I changed the terms and told you a black man in the street died, or if I changed the terms and told you that my uncle was a policeman, would that change your level of compassion? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's where we get sidetracked is we, we start getting into all of these debates and we miss the basic level of compassion. The parable is, is, is telling us that he had compassion on him. 
And, I, and I'm challenged by the parable not to get into all of these big debates of, 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 of who does what, who's wrong. and Because and, and, when I say that, that about, about black men being gunned down, then you might feel a, a sense of shame and a sense of guilt. And if I talk about race, you might feel a sense of shame and a sense of guilt. But no, I'm just asking you to basically consider having compassion on anybody who's fallen among thieves. First thing he did, he went to him. Are y'all right? First thing he did was he went to him. Second thing, he had compassion on him. Third thing is he gives him agents of healing. The oil and the wine, the agents of Oil being an agent of healing. Wine being an agent of cleansing. He, he says, your job is to help folks get healed. Your job is to put people in a position where they can be healed and put them in a position where they can be healed and restored with Christ. Put them in a position where, 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 where their lives can change. To, and then the next thing he does, is he puts them on his beast. And, 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 and he walks. I mean, I thought that was so, so profound. The guy is strong enough to where he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm strong enough to walk, and I'm going to put you on my beast and let you ride. I'm strong enough to share what I have for you to go for. Now we're not even talking about race. I'm just weaving it in and mess with you a little bit. Now we're not even talking about race. Now we're just talking about, I think that God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to other people. I don't think God blesses you so that you can be a consumer. I think God blesses you so you can be a blessing to other people. So whatever God has blessed you with, if God has blessed you with, 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 a, with a heart of compassion, who can you disciple? Who can you minister to? Who can you help? If God has blessed you with resources that you can share with other people, he blessed you to be a blessing to other people. That's what we learned from the Good Samaritan. He, has he goes to where he is. He has compassion on him. He, he, give, he, he serves as a catalyst to, to an agent of, of healing. And then he puts him on his beast. He's strong enough to where he was willing to let someone else ride so he can walk. Let me give you three quick keys and then I'll stop. If you're going to do this, I mean, if you're really going to live out this word, you have to be committed to being a refresher. That's what the whole text is about. That, 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 the, that the good Samaritan is one who refreshes the lives of people. That, that you have to be committed to being a refresher, which, which means this. This, this is one of my keys. You cannot live your life by convenience. You must live your life by conviction. It's never convenient to be involved in someone else's life. It's, it's never really convenient to be involved in someone else's life that, that needs the Lord or needs healing or needs restoration or, or needs to be included. It's never convenient. And so what happens in, in modern Christianity is what we do is, is somebody comes and tells us, hey, man, my life is falling apart. I'm bleeding out uh, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And you shake their hand and say, hey, man, what's your name? Carl. 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 Good to see you, Carl. And you say, hey, Carl, that's good, man. You know what? I'm going to be praying for you. That's what we do to about 15. I'm praying for you, Carl. Carl, you're on my prayer list. Now, dude just told me he's bleeding out. He just told me his life falling apart. You know, he just told me all kinds of crazy things. And my response is, I hear you. I'm going to be praying for you. And I would love to help you. And as soon as I get done with all my world, I'm going to help you, Carl. You're on my prayer list. Because we want convenience. Conviction is like, 
Girl, man, for real? For real? Let me pray for you right now. And I'm going to pray for Carl, and I'm going to exchange information with him, and I'm going to follow up with Carl, and I'm going to check on Carl. Even though I got tests and stuff and all kinds of stuff going on in my world, I still, Carl is on my mind and in my heart. That's conviction. Convenience is, man, Carl, you know, here's what you need to do. I'm praying for you, and you ought to come to RUF. RUF is banging. <laughs> <laughs> For the hip hop compared, that means it's really cool. With <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, somebody tweet that. <laughs> and I just tell him where to go. As if just by going to RUF when the life falls apart, that he's just going to get rejuvenated. How about, you know what? One thing that's really blessed me is this community I have at RUF, but greater than that. I want to do life with you. See, the reason why we don't say that much anymore is because it's inconvenient. Because if Carl has issues, that's going to be... I, I, I can't sign... I don't know how deep it is. Here's the challenge. Conviction says... Conviction says, you don't even have to call me when I know you're hurting... I'm going to run to your aid because you need to be refreshed. And if I don't see you, I'm going to call you because I care for your destiny and future. Convenience says, I like to help you, but I got my own stuff. And if I can get this stuff taken care of, then you can count on me. There's got to be more to our ministries, our churches, and our world than just recycling Christians. That we just keep moving from church to church and ministry to ministry where there's 18,000 people on the campus that still need to know or have some kind of connection with some significant relationship and to be able to have a chance at knowing God outside of what they hear in media and social media. And that's only going to happen when we decide to choose conviction over convenience. <coughs> convenience says I got my own stuff. Conviction says I have a strong confidence that, that, that if I serve you and refresh you, God will also refresh me. Conviction says I'm willing to go against public opinion to identify with you and your trouble. Convenience says I'm not going to rock the boat hanging out with you. Convenience is like, I don't know you, Carl. And I don't know what you've got involved in your life. And I'm not going to rock the boat because I don't want to be associated with you. Because you might be into some crazy stuff. And if people see me hanging out with you, they're not going to think I'm a real Christian. So therefore, I don't know if I Because like, it's like all of a sudden, like, Carl can contaminate your whole faith. And like, now you lose your whole salvation because you're hanging out with Carl. <laughs> you know, if I be seen with Carl and, you know, he's... And, like, I grew up in this world where, like, you can watch Harry Potter and lose your salvation and go to hell. <laughs> All right, but what about Chronicles of Narnia? No, it's not the Bible. What? I mean, like, how does Harry Potter send me to hell and Chronicles of Narnia doesn't help? I'm confused. One bad spot of what you would consider evil just automatically sends me to hell, and one good drop of what you consider good is not good enough. Meanwhile, back in the 80s, we got bewitched and nobody thought that was crazy. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? It's like this thing of convenience is like, <coughs> conviction says, I'm not afraid to associate with you and rock the boat because I'm so confident in who I am. That if I go to a meeting at the LGBT, and that, I, I'm not afraid to be in conversations that rock the boat. 
That if I hang out with somebody at a different life stage or somebody who's not saved or, or if I go to a, I mean, wherever I am, I'm so confident in who I am in Christ that I'm not afraid. You, you can't you can't reach people that you're not willing to engage with. Conviction says. I'm willing to go against public opinion to identify with where you are. Convenience says I'm not going to run up the boat hanging out with you. And when others turned away, whether this was Paul or whoever this was in the Bible, when others turned away, there was always the people who refresh by showing up and giving worth to him and by taking time. I'm going to be real honest with you. If I would have spent more time, I would have teared up. Uh, When Chris came to my church a few weeks ago and I noticed him, it was one of the most moving moments for me. I mean, it, it really moved. I mean, I, I, I was really moved that he would come to our church. Most of the time, I get invited to the comfort place of where people are. I don't always have people come over, other ministers especially, come over to sit and just support. I mean, I mean to be present. And to show I value you enough to come and to participate in what you already have without trying to change it to be like what I have. I mean, he didn't, he didn't after the service, say, you know what, those songs are kind of long. You know, and at our church, this is how we do this. And, you know, at RUF, this is how we do this. No, he didn't do any of that. He just came and said, man, brother, this is really great. I was privileged to be there. Showing up and being present. I mean, just when you show up in places, it adds value to other people, just to show up and say, man, God bless you, this is awesome, I just want to be a part of your life, just to show up, I mean, people say, how did you start with, how did you start with football, I just literally showed up, literally, I mean, I mean, it was, it's what I learned back in the young life days, young life is like, I think if you're ever going to do sales, you need to do young life, because back in that day, young life didn't have a brand, right, I mean, my roommates and I did young life, in high school, and we came to college and kind of helped form it here. And, and back then, we used to go to the high school not knowing anybody. It's like, hey, I'm Reggie. You get rejected by about 10 high school kids. That'll really work on your faith. <laughs> That'll really work on your faith. It's like, gosh, man. Like, I was cool just like that kid. <laughs> You're standing there, hey, I'm Reggie. I'm here with Young Life. What's Young Life? They didn't know what it was. they like, who are you? And, and I mean, are you like it? It's being present. It's just being present. I, I didn't start off football with some good Bible study. It was just a matter of, I just said to Coach Moore at the time, hey, can I go and just sit and practice? Being present. I have a philosophy that visibility is credibility. You got to be visible. All right, I, gotta, I told you three keys and I'm right here at 930. I'm going to go right here into the lightning round right here if I can have four, four grace minutes. Next part here is, is, is refreshers are never deterred or put off by circumstances. If you're going to be, you got to be committed and you have to be convicted over convenience. Second point is, you can't be put off by circumstances. You, 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 you can't be put off by circumstances. You, you, you got to show up. You, you can't be put off by the circumstances. You can't be there to be a super spiritual Christian. When you show up, don't show up to be super spiritual. Just show up to be present. Don't show up to be like, I, last week we had, we had a, a tragic event happen. A, a kid from uh, our football team, his baby died. 11 days old. Baby died. He's in the room, praying with the baby. Baby died. I'm getting all these texts from my little Christian friends. And they're like, I hope revival is going to break out at the funeral. Are you crazy? 
One person said, man, they, and then, you know, preachers are funny because they start sending you text messages. I know a message that you can preach. You ought to preach about the woman in the Bible who lost our faith. Seriously? Somebody else texts me and says, well, you know, let, let, I'm not going to preach Lazarus. He got up. <laughs> I mean, he died again. But I don't want to give false hope. I'm not showing up at the funeral of an 11-year-old baby to be super spiritual and show how good I can preach. No, man, that's when you show up and say, look, I know what you're going through is hard. I'm not going to pretend like I identify. The real question that you're asking right now is, can God be trusted? And I can tell you two things. One, God is not a taker. There's one scripture in the Bible that says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It was Job when he was frustrated. At the end of his life, he said, I spoke of things I didn't understand. I can tell you, God's not the one putting cancer on people, uh, uh, giving people horrible diseases and stealing babies. God is not that selfish. He didn't need a bud for his flower garden. God would not take the only thing that was precious to you in this moment. I can promise you, I don't understand all the things, but one, God's not a taker. Two, you can trust God. Three, love God. Four, the families that surround you. And, and I got 10 minutes to do it. It's not a time to be super spiritual. When people are hurting, stop trying to be super spiritual. Just be present. Just be there. Don't try to pretend like you have the answers. Don't be moved by the circumstances. Here's the last one. Chris said after 30 minutes, you stop listening. That's why I start yelling. <laughs> you can never be a friend to anyone that you're willing to bear their reproach. You can never be a friend to anyone that you're willing, unwilling to bear their reproach. Life is full of pressures. Life is full of pressures, and, and, and the refreshing people are grace-filled. If you are appalled by the humanity of others, you don't understand the grace of God. I mean, if you're like, man, I can't believe that they got themselves in that, you're missing it. It's like a doctor who's afraid of blood. It's, it's, it's like a first responder who's afraid of the crash. No, you can't be appalled by the circumstances. That's the beauty of the text. Jesus was just rejected by Samaritans and talks about a good Samaritan because though everybody else is appalled, he's not distracted. Man, I'm telling you, you got one of the greatest opportunities. Your generation, and I, and I feel old saying that, you know, because that's what they used to say like back when I was in school. Your group is awesome. I mean, like your timeline and where you are, you're some of the most innovative and creative people that we've seen. <coughs> I've been here at Appalachian for 20 years from the time I first came up here as an 18-year-old student. I'm amazed at this group of people that we have on campus right now. I'm not just saying that, because I can be very critical too. I'm amazed at how intelligent, how interactive, how brilliant, and how committed you are to your faith. This campus needs you, man. I mean, this community needs you. Not only does the campus need you, but there's local churches that need you. There's local agencies that need you. There's local communities that need you. And in addition to the 18,000 people that are on campus, there's another 40,000 in the county that need you. <clears throat> Who's your neighbor? Anybody who you see on the way who needs help, 
I don't see anybody that needs help. Open your eyes, dude. Don't be so focused on your destination that you do like the priest and go around. Don't be so focused on your destination that you do like the Levi and go around. Along the way in your destination, pay attention to the people who are right in front of you. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this group of I'm so impressed. Week after week they come here to this place to worship. Week after week they come together in community. I pray that you would open the eyes of their understanding. I pray that you would enlighten them to the people that's on their path. I pray, one, that they would be those that go to where people are. They would be those that have compassion. They'd be agents of healing. They'd be refreshers that are moved by conviction and not convenience. Not distracted by the circumstances. And not appalled by humanity. Father, thank you not only for these students, but for their leaders, their group leaders, their staffs, their interns, all the people that pour into them. I pray that you would refresh them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.